morning again and welcome to church. We're so glad that you're here today. Uh, and if you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them right now, turn to Genesis chapter 21. Uh, we're going to continue in our series, Echoes of Promise, uh, today, uh, looking at this whole chapter uh, this morning. Obviously, uh, Pastor Jerry is not here at the moment. He's uh, taking some rest and spending time with family. And uh, I just want to recognize from, do you, do you believe that we have a gift in our pastor, Jerry? And you got to understand, he works very, very hard each week to preach God's word to, to you. And I know that many of you already thank him on a regular basis, but the next time you see him, could you thank him again? Uh, he works hard and hard and hard and labors to feed us well here at the church, and, and I'm so grateful for him, and I just want to make sure that we uh, take every opportunity we can to thank him for his hard work in those things. Um, but this morning, I get the privilege of opening God's word for you in Genesis chapter 21, uh, we're going to be looking at today. Did everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Was Thanksgiving pretty good? Pretty excited about Thanksgiving? I had a great Thanksgiving. I got to go out and see my family in Southwest Michigan. Uh, you know what's not great about seeing your family in Southwest Michigan? It takes like 10 hours to drive there. It, it's forever. You're in the car all day. It's, it's kind of horrible. And, um, and yet it's all worth it when you get to be with family and, and enjoy all the time together. And as I was driving out, I was driving with my family. So all five of us together in the, in the vehicle as we drove out. And, and um, it was actually pretty awesome to be together with my family uh, most of the time in the car. And um, it got me to thinking about all the different times that I've done this particular drive. You see, I lived in Chicago and I came to Lancaster Bible College. And so like 25 years ago, I used to do this drive back and forth all the time. And uh, you know what? It was very different doing this drive this time with my family, my wife and my three kids. We were all together. It was, it was great to be with them and very different than when I used to do it as a college student when I was all by myself. 12 hours in the car, 
singing at the top of my lungs, drinking, drinking Mountain Dew and eating Twizzlers, because that's what you do when you're alone and you're depressed, right? And, and so presence makes all the difference. Like having my family with me, having my wife and my kids it, it, were just talking together, doing things together was really awesome because their presence just changes the whole dynamic. And, and when you think about uh, presence, it's so important that we understand God's presence in our life. And we're going to see that in our, in our reading and in, in our text here today. And yet, while we know that God's presence matters, many times we struggle to believe that God is really with us. So we're in church, we can be honest. Do you, do you ever struggle to believe that sometimes God is like, like with, with you, like right beside you, in it with you, going through that thing with you? That's actually a really common experience. There's a religion professor by the name of Christian Smith at Notre Dame University who did a massive study about what Americans believe. He's coming at it from a perspective of a religion professor who believes not just Christianity, all different religions. And he did this study about Americans and what Americans believe in. Fascinating study because it helped us come to the understanding that we all believe something very similar even if we have different religious affiliations. It doesn't matter if you're Catholic or you're Muslim or you're Hindu or you're just kind of don't believe much of anything at all. There is an underlying belief system that we all come to the table with, and he actually labeled it uh, MTD. You see, we all have a moralistic, therapeutic, deistic view of God. Now, I'm not going to unpack the whole study for you. I'm just going to focus on this one part, deism. Have you ever heard that word before? Deism is the belief that there is a God and, and that he did create or he did something at the beginning, but now he's not involved at all. He's actually very far off. He, he kind of made the world. He made all of us. And then he's not actually actively present, involved, sovereignly working within. He, he's not actually with us. And, and the most common worldview that all Americans have is that there is a God or a higher power of some sort but he's not actually present with us, working for us, supernaturally involved in our lives. And so I bring that up because this particular text today is going to help us to see that that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches that God is, is actually very much involved in all of these things. He's not a, the God of the Bible, the God of this book, the God of, that we believe in is not uninvolved. He's very much present. And, and so we can see here that the Bible actually over and over in many different places, but in this chapter at, in particular, we're going to see that God is present. We're going to see echoes of God's presence. We're, we're going to see in this particular text we're going to see how God is present and involved and active and working and right with the characters of the stories and how that even echoes down to us today in our world. And so today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 21, echoes of God's presence. And as we look at the story, I'm just going to tell you right now, a little bit of a, I did some study of it this week, and it's like there's three stories that are jammed into one chapter that you kind of look at it and you go, I don't see how any of this goes together. And yet the Holy Spirit has a one common theme that he wants us to see through this whole chapter from three kind of separate different stories. And it's simply this, if you're 
a note taker, by the way, write this down. Although we're going to say it hopefully enough that you don't have to write it down and you're going to remember it. Is it okay if you remember what was preached by lunchtime? Is that, is that a good thing? Right? So, so let me say it and then you say it with me. That'll help us remember it. We're going to say it this way. God's presence matters most. Can you say that with me? God's presence matters most. How much does God's presence matter? Most. God's presence matters most. We're going to see this theme throughout this particular chapter here today. And, and so let me uh, begin by reading. Okay, so there's three different scenes. We're going to look at them one by one. So scene number one, verses one to seven. Let me read it together this morning. It says this. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised and Sarah, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time at which God had spoken to him. Anybody want to cheer for that? As, what do you think was going on in Abraham's heart? Go ahead, express that right now in your seat. What do you think Abraham did? That was turkey hangover expression of what, of what Abraham would have done right? But, but I will give you a pass. Yeah, he, he's incredibly excited. Think about it. The Lord visited Sarah and did what he had promised. What was the promise that he had given to Sarah? That a year ago he had said to her, I'm going to what? I'm going to give you a son. It's finally happening. And it says here in verse 3, Abraham called the name of his son, which was born to him, whom Sarah had born to him, laughter. You know, that's what Isaac means. He laughs. He, he was so full of joy at the promise that was finally being fulfilled that he called his son laughter because of all the delight that was going to be given to him. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have... Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? Hey, listen, God's presence matters most. And we're going to see three ways that God's presence matters in particular. The first is this. God's presence is faithful power that brings delight. God's presence matters because it's faithful power. His presence itself is the faithful power that brings delight into our life. We can see this here in this story as we see the delight of Abraham calling his son laughter and then Sarah singing this song using the, the, the word laughter multiple times within it. We see that it's bringing this delight. But let's think about this for a second. Where do we see God's presence specifically in this particular scene? Well, look at verse 1. You'll see it right away. It says there that the Lord, the Lord what? He visited Sarah. This, this is actually a common metaphor to describe God's intervention in human affairs. The Hebrew word is pakad, and, and it's used numerous times in the scriptures. It's used when God intervened to save Israel from the Egyptians. He visited them. It's used when he ended the famine in the book of Ruth. 
That's when he visited them. He used it when he caused Hannah to conceive. He used it when he brought Israel out of Babylonian captivity. You see, this word he visited, he pakad, it highlights a major significant event of God's presence being involved in whatever circumstance that is being described in that particular story. In this one, it's that God visited Sarah. God intervened. He got involved. He was very much present with Sarah. Notice it says, God, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And then it says, the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And then Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Notice what's being emphasized here. The Holy Spirit is emphasizing not the conception and birth of this child, but rather God's faithful power to enact in this situation and bring a woman who could not have children, who had never had a child before, but now at 90 years old is finally conceiving and having a child. It's God's faithful power that's being demonstrated in this particular text. We see that God is, does exactly what he says he's going to do. Turn over just a couple of pages in Genesis chapter 18, verse 10. God had said this, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. That was his promise. That's what he said he was going to do, and here it actually happens. I mean, think about it. Abraham is jumping up and down. It's a boy. It's a boy. It's here. Well, I have a child now because God is faithfully present and faithful to his promise and powerful to do all that he said he would do. It's been a long wait. And we learned this earlier in the series. God is, God is never, he's never what? He's never late. And he's not late here either. This is the fulfillment. This is the faithful power of God being present in Abraham and Sarah's life. Now, notice the emotion of what it does to Abraham. You're going to have to kind of struggle because like typically most men, they don't have a lot of expression on the outside. So you read these next verses and it's just kind of flat and it's, don't, don't read your Bible flat, okay? Read your Bible with emotion, Think about this for a second. Notice how Abraham responded. He called the name of his son who was born to him Isaac. That's an act of obedience. And it also says that he was circumcised on the eighth day as he had been told to do. That's also obedience, but it's worship that's, being, that's happening here. And in this, we see that Abraham is 100 years old when his son Isaac is born to him. And you can just kind of sense the emotion and the delight and the joy that would have been overflowing. Listen, while the verses seem kind of flat here, he called his son Isaac. He just did what God told him to do. Like he's doing it with this incredible delight within his heart. It's out of this delight. You see, God's presence brings this delight to them in this way. And so we see here that, that God is, is actually working in this powerful way to bring worshipful obedience out of Abraham. Abraham obeys, and he names his son and circumcises him. Notice verse 2 says, at the time which God had spoken, 100 years old, he's faithful even at that late age. But then also notice Sarah. How does Sarah respond to this 
child being born. Well, she, we have a song here is really what it is. In Hebrew, it would be read more like a song here. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. You remember when they last laughed? You remember how Abraham laughed kind of out of this disbelieving, but like, I kind of believe this is going to true. And Sarah laughed behind the tent curtain. And it was like, I don't believe this will be true at all. And yet now we see that emotion being expressed here again, and it's this laughter of joy. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? I'm 90 years old, and I'm having this child. I'm nursing this child. She breaks out in song and delight. And laughter is mentioned twice here because Isaac was going to be a source of laughter and a reminder of how they laughed and yet how God has, has brought all of that new. Notice the last phrase she says, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? We see the impossibility voiced by Sarah. She was barren, but now she's nursing a child in her old age. Do you see the faithful power of God in this scene? You see, I'm not just, I don't think I'm just making this up, right? Do you, do you see God's faithful power and how it's bringing delight to those who are experiencing God's faithful power? This is... This is what the text is trying to show us, that when you have God's presence, it, it, you're going to see God's faithful power on display, and it's going to bring delight to your heart. That's what's happening in this story. God's presence matters most because he is the most faithful, most powerful person that we can have beside us. Now, that should combat something that's, some things that are in our lives. It, it should, should fight against some common experience that we have. It, it's pretty common to get discouraged when we think that we're all alone. It's pretty common to have maybe even depression because of the loneliness of that, or, or really just to think that the, it's, it's just kind of drudgery. I just got to keep going through this life and nobody's with me. And because we have a God who is a God in spirit form, and we oftentimes wonder, like, I can't actually see him, I can't touch him, it's not like I can interact with him in these tangible ways. It's super easy for us to lose sight of the fact that God is with us always. And when we lose sight of that, that's when discouragement and depression and just, I have this drudgery of religion, I don't really have a relationship with a God who seems to be present. And belief that God is not actively involved in our lives ultimately leads to death. It leads to a death of soul. It leads to a death of relationship and relating to him. It, it, it leads to a death of responding to him. But when we realize that God is actively present in our lives, that gives life. It delivers life to us in that way. Now, many times our struggle to delight in the relationship with God and his presence with us happens because we actually aren't listening to who God, the God of the Bible is. We're, we're trying to make a God of our own imagination. We're, we're trying to make a God who will do what I tell him to do. And you understand that when I have a God who does what I tell him to do, that now I'm actually God, right? And so many times we want God to be a genie, a magician, to just perform and to do the things that we want him to do. And when he doesn't do the things that I want him to do or the way that I want him to do it, then I think, well, then, then he's not here. He's not present. And that's many times where the struggle actually begins to begin. 
And we have to realize that that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is actually present. He's with us. But think about this for a second. How long had Abraham and Sarah waited for God to show up and faithfully and powerfully demonstrate this promise? Abraham's 100 years old now. Sarah's 90. Remember, it's been 25 years of waiting, 25 years of wondering, is God present? Is he here? Like, I, I know that for some of us, we've been waiting maybe that long, but a lot of ways, that, that's, that's longer than most of us have waited to see if God is really present with us. And yet, what we see here is when God demonstrates us, when he shows us his presence, we, we see there's this delight and joy that begins to happen. And I would suggest to you that that's actually the call of this particular scene is to, to see that God is going to be faithful to his promise. His presence is going to be here so we can just even begin to delight in how we see God working in the little things as we wait for him to do some of the big things in our life as well. We're being called here to delight in God's presence, to see a story of how God is present in this, in this couple's life, and, and then to believe that God is going to be working in our lives, even when it feels like he's distant. We're supposed to delight in God's presence, and I was thinking about that. How can I delight in God's presence when I'm not feeling like he's right beside me right now? How, how do I get to that spot? And I think there's at least two ways. The first is this. I think that we are called, the reason the story is even in the Bible is so that we would remember the past, that we would remember how God has been present in our lives in the past. And if you can't remember a time that God was present in your life in the past, then that's why we have the Bible, to, to see the story of how God has been present in the lives of the characters of this particular story how they had to wait for so many years until they finally saw God act in the way that he had promised he was going to. And, and the sense of that presence that brought delight into them is one that is supposed to cause us to say, I can wait for that. I can believe that. I see that coming. God is working even among me, even if I can't see it at the moment. The second thing is this, not just remembering the past, but we need to be reminded by friends. Part of the reason that you're in church with people around you today is because you need each other. We need each other. I need somebody every once in a while to remind me God is present. And even if he feels distant in this moment, no, this is not a God who, who has just put things in motion and let it be. He's actively working and involved in these circumstances. He's going to come true. He's faithful. He's powerful. He, like I need others who tell me that to remind me of that so that when I'm weak in my understanding of those things, God is actually showing up through a friend reminding me of the faithful presence of God in my life. So that's what we see, first of all, that God, God's presence, it's faithful power that brings delight. But there's a second aspect of God's presence that I believe the text is trying to show us through the next scene and the next story. We, we see this in, in verses 8 to 22. Let me read it for us, and then we'll unpack it a little bit here this morning. Notice verse 8 says, and the child grew and was weaned. So if he's weaned, he's, he's like two to three years old. 
Notice two to three years since the birth of the child, so separate scene, there's been some time that's passed, the child's weaned, and Abraham, he's still delighting in all that God had done. <laughs> he made a feast on, the, on that day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. So, so Ishmael, 16 years old right now, on the day that this feast is happening, He's laughing. We're going to see what that means here in a second. It's actually not a positive laugh. It's a negative one. So Sarah said to Abraham, cast the slave woman with her son out, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Uh-oh. <laughs> Remember, there's already been kind of this rivalry between Sarah and Hagar before, and we're seeing it now appear again. Verse 11 the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. He loved Ishmael. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water of the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite to him, she lifted her voice and wept. God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And when she filled the skin with water and gave it to the boy, and God was with the boy, and he grew up, and he lived in the wilderness, and became an expert with the bow. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So we get the second scene, the second story in this chapter. And, it, and when I first read it, I was like, what? <laughs> like, we go from the birth of Isaac, and that's awesome, to, to the tearing of this family, the, the divorce of Hagar outside of the family, and Ishmael leaving and, and experiencing this incredible father wound. And I'm, I'm going, what is going on in this particular scene? And I would say it this way, write this down. Point number two is this. God's presence is sovereign protection that builds faith. What you might first question, I recognize. Wait, What? It's sovereign protection. It doesn't look like protection here. Ishmael gets thrown out into the wilderness, and it's building faith. How, how is this building faith? Because I, I actually have a hard time with what God says to Abraham, do what your wife Sarah says. Like that seems, that seems out of place at the very least. And yet what we see in the story, I'll sh let me show it to you, is that God's presence, it's sovereign protection that builds faith. We see in verse 8, the scene is set a couple of years after the birth of Isaac. Abraham's still celebrating here. And in verse 9 and 10, we see that the tension appears right away. Sarah sees Hagar's son, Ishmael, laughing. Now, 
This is the very same word at the root of the name of Isaac. Remember, Isaac, he laughs is the meaning. And the same Hebrew word at the base of Isaac's name is being used here, but in an intensified way, so that it's not laughing like, ha, 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 it's so great to be together, but it's actually mocking. And the mother of Isaac sees the mocking of her precious son, laughter, Isaac, and she says, I'm not going to have any of this, right? Is that what the verse says, pretty much? I'm not going to have any of this. Abraham, cast out your slave woman and her son. The tension goes nuclear immediately. It's not a delighting laugh, it's a mocking laugh. And the surprising thing in verse 11, 12, and onwards there, is that God has a surprising plan. He agrees with Sarah. Does anybody think that's a little bit strange? You can raise your hand there if you want. I thought that was strange. Like, really, God? Because it seems like Hagar and Ishmael are now being abused again by Sarah. Abraham is displeased. He's in distress because he loves his son. And God says, do what Sarah says because Isaac is the rightful heir. Your name is going to be made through the line of Isaac, not through the line of Ishmael. In all of this, God wants to, wants to show his presence. This is God's plan. This is his sovereign plan. He, he says, Abraham, go ahead and do this because I want to show my presence to Hagar and Ishmael. It, it seems like an odd plan, but I'm sovereignly in control of this. And that's what you see in the second part of the story. When, when, when she takes her, now listen, 16-year-old boy. How, how big are 16-year-old boys, Right? But the Hebrew actually uses the word infant. She takes this tender child and lays him under the bush, and then she goes a bow shot away, foreshadow to who he's going to be as an archer, and she's crying out. And who does God hear? It says that God hears Ishmael's cry. You see, God's sovereign plan in all of this, even though, the, uh, even though Abraham can't see it and he's so displeased and he's kind of an emotional wreck as he sent his son out never to see him again, by the way. Think of how distressing that is to a father. And this child is laying under the bush and, and crying out and God hears the child. Just like God heard his mom in the previous time that she was in the wilderness as well. God hears the child, and he says, don't worry about it, Abraham. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to take care of him. So Abraham is now going to have to believe God. He's going to have to put his faith in God to be able to send your son away and not protect him and not take care of him anymore. God's, he's going to have to now believe and put his faith and trust that God's plan is actually going to happen. The crisis occurs, the water is gone, they're waiting for death, but God hears and he's present. Now notice something about the story. Do we ever hear the name Ishmael? Go ahead, look at your Bible. Do you ever see the name Ishmael in the actual verses of scripture? 
If it appears anywhere, it's probably in the heading. And in this, we see that multiple times, Hagar is actually called that slave woman. And it seems so demeaning in this way. And yet what we see that Moses is doing in the power of the Holy Spirit is he's showing that God's sovereign plan is that there is going to be this separation and God's going to take care of the one who gets sent out into the wilderness. He's going to take care of the one that that seems to be disadvantaged here. But this is God's plan in the process. The name is going to come through Isaac. And so Moses, in an awesome literary device type of way, never names Ishmael in this. And yet the nameless child is heard by God and told that he has a sovereign plan for him. God speaks to Hagar and says, fear not, I hear him, I know where he is, and there's a future for him. I'm going to protect him. And so he comes and he comforts Hagar and Ishmael in that moment. But notice what verse 19 says. It says that God opened Hagar's eyes, her eyes, and she saw a well of water to save them. And she went and she filled the skin with water and gave it to the boy. And then here it is. Where's God's presence in this story? Where's God's presence in this scene? Look at verse 20. It says this. And God was with the boy. He's with the boy. God's presence matters most. God's presence here is the sovereign protection for the boy he's been cast out of the home. But God says, don't worry, I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to care for even though the situation is horrible. And Abraham probably can't see anywhere past this. He's trusting God's sovereign protection for Ishmael, his son. And that should build our faith. That should build our faith. The faith uh, opportunity to be built is seen here in verse 19 when it says, God opened her eyes and she saw salvation. She saw the well, the water that was going to physically save her and the child right there in the moment. But how many times in scripture do we see that water is actually an imagery of salvation in a spiritual sense as well? She has an opportunity for her faith to be built in the midst of feeling like God is absent and that nobody's taking care of them and that they're going to die alone in the wilderness. We see that God is actually so good because he's present with them and he's giving them salvation. God opened her eyes and she sees the well. And God is with the boy. His presence matters most. Ishmael is not the chosen one, but God is for Ishmael, and he has not abandoned Ishmael, and he's not absent from even their great crisis in the wilderness. Which means for us, this is teaching us that God's presence matters most because his sovereign plan protects us by offering salvation that builds our faith. Is that true? Is that true in your life, that his presence offers sovereign protection? Would, would that not be something that would be immensely important for you to have? The presence of God that brings sovereign protection. And if that were true, would that not build your faith? Could you not maybe reach a little bit farther to trust him than you did when you thought he was absent? God's not absent. That's what the story is teaching. 
God's never absent, even in the most difficult circumstances. Listen, you might be walking through a difficult circumstance right now, and this is what God's word wants you to hear today. He's not absent. He's present. I mean, maybe you're not in that crisis right now, but this is something that is intended to build your faith for the moment of great crisis that may be down the road for you. When you feel like that incredible loss and you wonder, where are you, God? It's okay to wonder that, by the way. But, but then go to his word and get the answer. He's like, no, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm with you. And, and, and even though this circumstance seems so wildly out of control, it's actually part of my sovereign plan, and I'm with you, would you put your trust in me? Would you build your faith in me even in this moment? God is never uninvolved in our circumstances. He's always orchestrating them. I believe that's part of what this story is telling us, particularly the story of Ishmael. God's always orchestrating the, the circumstances. And in that, it's so important to believe, listen, hear this. He's not mean or uncaring as he orchestrates his sovereign plan. And I pause to kind of slow down there for a moment because that's often what we feel when those things are happening. And yet the text of Scripture is helping us to see he's not mean or uncaring when you lose your job or when you get the cancer diagnosis or when debilitating pain, that chronic pain just never lets up. He's not absent when you lose a loved one as much as it may feel it in the moment. I mean, so many times we're wondering, God, how, how could you do this? How, how, why would you allow this? Why, why is this circumstance? I, I believe that you're God, so you're sovereignly in control, but are you, how could you, are you present? Are you caring? Do you understand? And the answer is yes. 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 But I'll tell you this. Sometimes, sometimes it seems God is so distant in those incredibly intense moments that if you were to come to me and say, Pastor Nate, how could God use this? Why did he do this? The answer is, I don't know. I don't know God's ways. I don't know why he said to Abraham, send your son out into the desert to never see him again. I don't know the mind of God. And so I'll weep with you and we'll mourn together and we'll say, I don't know the circumstance exactly why this is all happening, but I do know this. 
He's with us. He's present. And as confusing as the circumstances are, by the way, Jesus was in a circumstance like this. He had a really good friend of his die. And his response wasn't a theological expounding upon God's presence. It was simply weeping. Jesus wept. And it struck me that part of the reason why we need each other is to mourn and to weep with each other in those moments and say, I don't know the mind of God because that is God's presence actually wrapping around us right there in that moment. That's God using his people to come alongside of us and to tangibly say, I don't understand all of this, but I'm going to trust the character of God. doesn't feel like it at the moment, but I'm going to build my faith. I'm going to put my faith in this. He's here. And he's going to point us to a well of salvation. And he's going to get us through this, and we're going to trust him more because of this. Listen, this story is trying to draw us to a spot where we see that God is presence always. It matters most, and that should cause me not just to delight when the good things happen, but to trust him when the difficult things are happening. Trust in God's presence. Trust in his character. Trust in who he is, even when it doesn't feel like he's there. When it feels like he's distant and absent, know that the word of God says he's there and he's with you and he's ready at any point to answer your cry like he answered the cry of Ishmael. Put your trust in him. Look for his salvation. Don't allow the preoccupation of how you think, think things should be to erode your trust in God actively working all things together for good. So God's presence matters most because, first of all, in scene one, we see his faithful power brings delight. Now here in scene two, we see his sovereign protection that should build our faith. There's a third story, and, and just as as odd as the second story seemed to go with the first, the third story seems even more out of left field, more like, wait, why is this in the Bible as well? And let, let me read it to you. You'll understand it for just a second. Kind of a little bit of a scene and character change. Look at verse 22. It says this, at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, so wait a second, we're talking about Abraham and his two different sons and all that happened there, and now we're like on to some Philistine king? Like, that seems odd to me. And I just want you to know, as I read by the Bible, like, it seems odd, but somehow this goes together. So we got to figure out, how does it go together? How does a, a Philistine king go together in this instance? Keep going. So Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. So as strange as this story is going to seem, know that Abraham or Moses front loads the story and he tells us right away why the story is there. That the most noticeable thing about Abraham isn't his wealth, it isn't his wife, it isn't any of the things that have happened so far. The most notable thing about Abraham to this pagan king is God's with you always. God's always with you. Let's keep reading here. 
It says, God's always with you in all that you do. Verse 23, now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. Now, remember Abimelech from last week? He's the one that he and Abraham, Abraham shows up and, and he takes Sarah as his wife and all that happened in that particular scenario where Abraham was tricking him constantly. So it makes sense that Abimelech, Abimelech would be like, hey, let's, let's, hey, deal kindly with me because you didn't deal kindly with me in the past. So let's make a treaty so we can deal kindly with each other. That's what's happening here. It goes on to say, Abraham said he would swear, okay? Go on. When Abra- so they have this, this treaty, this, this agreement of some sort, but then trouble happens. It says, when Abraham reproved Abimelech about the well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, we don't get the backstory. We just hear a well got seized, okay? And, and Abraham goes to Abimelech and tells him, hey, we made an agreement and it's been being broken. So Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me and I have not heard it until today. He says, I'm innocent. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech and the two men made a covenant. So first an agreement... Now they formalized it into a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba. Beersheba means well oath or well covenant. Okay, So they named it after what just happened at this event. Because of b- both of them swore an oath, verse 32, so they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. So here we go, here we go. The most noticeable thing about Abraham is God's presence. A pagan king can even see it. Like, like you're just like all the rest of us for the most part, except there's this one superpower that you have. And it's this thing that you have God's presence with you all the time. And so with that, we deal kindly with me because I remember the last time I dealt with, with God, he closed all the wombs in our kingdom. We don't want God's destruction in our lives again. So, so we're just going to, can we make this agreement, which turns into this formal covenant? And here's what happens. Think about this. What just happened when Abraham gets the water rights of the well? It's the first time that Abraham sees any part of the promise that he's going to have the land actually fulfilled. Now, he doesn't have any land. He just has water. But what does he have? He has water rights. Incredibly important in owning land, by the way. And so with that, we see the first time the fulfillment of the promise of the land begins. Listen, tiny little sliver of the promise. There's still all sorts of land that needs to be given to Abraham in this, but we see for the first time God's provision in all of this. And so God's presence is gracious provision that bolsters hope. That's point three. God's presence is gracious provision that bolsters hope. Why is it gracious? Because Abraham didn't deserve it. Abraham didn't deserve it. He's the one that's acted like a scoundrel between him and Abimelech. He's the one that tricked Abimelech in so many ways. And yet God is giving him something he doesn't deserve. God's giving him the provision, the water rights to the land for the very first time. 
So it's gracious in that regard. It's provision in the fact that this well is being given and this covenant is being made so it's official and it's recognized and it's noticed in this way. We see this happen and we realize that hope is bolstered. Now, bolstered is kind of a funny word, right? But the pastor had to kind of make it all make sense and use bees to match it with all the other stuff. And so, but think about that. Bolstered means to support. God's gracious provision bolsters hope. It supports hope. Do you know the first, I think, thing that happens when I feel like God isn't with me, the first thing that goes, it's hope. It's the belief that there's a future. It's the belief that there's a good future. If God's not with me, I think, well, this isn't going to turn out right, so now, now I have to do it all in my own power and strength, and that's, that's a mistake. The first thing that goes is hope. But, but listen, when God graciously provides, it should bolster hope. It should support hope. It should show us, listen, God is going to fulfill his promise to completion, just like Sarah just experienced that faithful power of God to conceive a child even though she was barren and had no right to be, be having children at that moment. We can see again, listen, God gives a little bit of water rights to Abraham to bolster and support his hope. And this is important because notice where Abraham is living. Verse 33, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Is he home yet? Nope. Does he have the security of owning all that God had promised him yet? Nope. He's sojourning. He's a foreigner. He, he's He's not fully an owner of anything but one sole little well. But that well is intended to support and cause him to hope in God. Because listen, when God is with you, he graciously provides and he sovereignly protects and he's faithfully, powerfully fulfills his promises. And so Abraham here is having the sliver of hope so that he would recognize he can put his trust in God because God is with him. And that's the thing that marks him. That the, that's the thing that's most noticeable about him. And that's what matters most. In all three stories, we see that God visited, it was his presence, that God was with the boy, that was his presence, that the thing that the pagan king notices is that God is with you always, it's his presence, it's his presence, it's his presence that matters most. And so when it could be easy to give up, when it could be easy to say, I don't feel like God is with me. We're supposed to be reminded here that his presence matters most. Actually, in the record of Hebrews, in the Hall of Faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, where it talks about Abraham, it says about Abraham this, in verse, Hebrews 11 verse 9, it says, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And it says, for he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So what is that city that he's looking forward to? What's another name for that? Shout it out. It's what? Heaven. Okay, okay help me again. What's that city's name? It's heaven. heaven. Very good. 
Listen, the reason he could sojourn as a foreigner in a land and have this tiny little bit of hope in this well is because he was looking forward to God bringing to him heaven. 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 Listen, just a little bit of God's presence today fuels me and should fuel us for that moment when we'll have the presence of God visibly around us in that moment in the future when we have him in heaven, in heaven. And so we see here that God's presence matters most because, of his great, because his gracious provision gives us hope. And oh, it's easy to have our hope beaten down in life. It's easy to believe that God is not involved or that he'll never be involved we see that God's presence in this story echoes down to us today and the cacophony of noise is that God's presence matters most and God acts for his people. If it matters most, if God's presence matters most, do you have it? Do you have God's favor in your life. You see, not everybody does. The reality is that all of us have sinned, and when we sin against a holy God that separates us from him, not everybody has the, the, the provision and the protection and the promise that is, is being shown in this particular story, because if you have sin that has separated you out of a relationship with God, then you don't have his favor in your life. You don't have these promises. You don't have a delight and a faith and a hope that is being demonstrated in this story. But the good news is that even if you don't have that here today, even if you've believed wrongly about who God is and what he's about and you've run from him and you said, it doesn't matter, I'm just going to be by myself anyway, that's okay, and you think you're strong enough for that and you're realizing that isn't true, the good news is that just like Abraham is marked by God's presence, you too can be marked by God's presence. You see, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he heals the relationship between you and God that was broken, and he places within inside of you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, indwells you because you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, God's presence is with you always. Now, you might need a reminder of that, and your faith might need to be built a bit more about that, and maybe more support for the hope that that's actually true needs to happen in your life. But listen, I'm just going to tell you this right now. If you would ask God, God, would you just give me a tiny little well of hope that your presence is within me? He will flood your soul with your presence, with his presence. And God's presence matters most. It matters most because it's going to bring delight as his faithful power is on display. God's presence will build your faith. It'll be sovereign protection. God's presence will bolster your hope because, it's, because he's going to graciously provides, provide. What if we were a church that actually believed that? What if we were a church that put our full belief in 
the fact that God is present and that matters most. I think it's so important in a year of living sent that we truly believe that. That we believe what the Great Commission actually says, that all authority was given to Jesus, so go make disciples, baptize them, teach them everything I've told you to do, and then what's the thing at the end that it says? And lo, I am with you always. The Great Commission is bookended by the authority of Jesus and the promise that his presence will never leave us. How would your life be different if you truly believed that God was there? How would you live different if you truly believed that God is present? Let's ask him. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Genesis 21. Three stories that seem kind of separated and yet the theme that your Holy Spirit has placed in here is that you are present. Lord, would you echo the present, your presence to us today as we've seen Sarah visited by your presence, as we've seen Ishmael protected by your, by your presence, as we've seen the gracious provision given to Abraham because you are present. God, would you do the work that's so desperately needed in us today? Lord, we'll start with this. Lord, we confess that there are times where we do not believe what your word says, that you are present always with us. Forgive us. But Lord, help us in our weakness too. Please build our faith and belief in this. Please give us just a little bit of well of hope that would support what your word is saying and help us to live differently as a result of it. Lord, help us to see that there's never a moment where you will forsake us. Even in the times where we think that you're thousands of miles away, Lord, Lord, you're constant and you're good and you're sovereign and you're with us. And we thank you for it. It's in Christ's name I pray.